Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Great America Show. When the Biden administration isn't lying about a major issue, you can rest assured they're trying to keep it secret from the American people. President Biden lied about paying illegal immigrants, said it was all hogwash, and the next day the White House had to admit that, yes, Biden is considering huge sums of money that would exceed, in fact, four times as much money as the federal government pays the family of a service member killed in combat. A quick list of the Biden lies. He said he would secure the border. It's, of course, wide open. Two million illegal immigrants to cross in his first year, that border. Biden said he was a friend of the coal industry. He's doing his level best to kill it. And now he claims his stimulus plan, amounting to some $3 trillion, really isn't economic stimulus spending at all, but rather a Biden genius-like plan to fight inflation, not create it. Incredible how this man is so clever, so bright that he has inverted both economic reality and economic theory. I will say this for Mr. Biden. He's utterly unafraid to lie through his teeth, even when the lie is transparent, utterly wrongheaded, and everyone, even children, know he's lying. Will he be held accountable? Hard to say, but his poll numbers have plummeted to 38%, and his vice president's numbers are even worse. Not good. President Xi is leading Communist China's Cold War against the United States. He took over Hong Kong and is now threatening to invade Taiwan. Xi's good friend Vladimir Putin moving his troops into position to invade Ukraine or perhaps Poland, while the United Nations warns of Iran's uranium enrichment program that now has the Iranians within months of producing a nuclear bomb. Those flashpoints are obvious, and the administration's ineptitude and indolence only magnify the threats. U.S. markets and our economy are showing signs of some weakness, and investor and consumer confidence is becoming increasingly difficult to sustain. Against that backdrop, a new indictment in the Russian collusion scandal that further reveals a conspiracy among the Hillary Clinton campaign, the Democratic National Committee, a leading Democrat Washington law firm with the complicity, of course, of a number of FBI and Department of Justice officials, as well as members of principal intelligence agencies, not only U.S., but the U.K., Italy, and Australia. And, of course, with the ever-present complicity of America's left-wing establishment media. Special Counsel John Durham indicted Igor Danchekov expert on Russian geopolitics and policies for the Brookings Institution, advisor to prominent Democrats, very prominent. Durham charges Danchenkov with lying to the FBI 
and assisting Christopher Steele in the manufacture of the utterly fraudulent and notorious content for the so-called dossier used by corrupt Democrats and left-wing media to assail President Donald Trump for years. And to take all of this up, we're joined by a man who has lived at the center of the biggest political scandal in our country's history for the past five years. Cash Patel is a former chief of staff for the Secretary of Defense under President Donald Trump, deputy assistant to the president, former director of counterterrorism at the National Security Council, uh, former principal deputy to the director of national intelligence as well, and senior counsel to the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Mr. Patel is a graduate of the University of Richmond, certified in international law from the University College London, and an attorney with a Juris Doctorate from New York's Pace School of Law. He worked closely with Congressman Devin Nunes in defending the president against two impeachments and the constant persecution of the radical Dems in Washington, D.C. against spurious and vicious and utterly fraudulent allegations and attacks that were constant throughout his entire term in office. Cash, first of all, thanks for all you have done and continue to do. It's great to have you with us. Truly an honor. Lou, thanks so much for that uh, mighty generous introduction. And uh, I've missed talking to you. I'm so excited to be back on the show with you. Uh, America needs to hear your voice. So um, I'm just happy to thrilled to be a part of it. Well, that's very kind. And Cash, uh, let, let's turn to uh, the Durham latest indictment. How important is it? It's massive. It's massive. Look, John Durham, as a former federal prosecutor myself, you know, putting together large scale conspiracy and fraud cases, that takes two, three, four years. John Durham is in year two of the largest political scandal in U.S. history, which was criminal. So he's indicted first, a quick rewind, an FBI attorney for lying to the federal court and a federal judge. And the FBI lied intentionally to get a, a surveillance warrant against the Trump campaign. Kevin Kleinsmith, indicted, convicted felon now, FBI attorney. Now that, that sums up the FBI. Then you have the next indictment against Sussman, as you said, who was the number two lawyer for the DNC and Hillary campaign. They got paid 10 plus million dollars to help perpetuate that fraud that Kevin Kleinsmith and the FBI um, assisted in. And what did uh, Sussman accused of doing? Lying to the FBI and basically saying he was misrepresenting to the FBI who his client was. And I interrogated Sussman under oath. The deposition cited by John Durham in his indictment of Sussman is mine. We locked him in because we knew he was representing the DNC and the Hillary campaign. And then he goes to the FBI and peddles false information about Alpha Bank servers that we now know never existed, right. but the FBI bought and sold that garbage. And now he's indicted. And the Igor Danchenko indictment is sort of the third piece of uh, this entire uh, fraud. And e Christopher Steele's dossier, as we now know, uh, thanks to our other uh, deposition of Andy McCabe, then deputy director of the FBI, who was caught lying uh, to the inspector general and the FBI, uh, said under oath to me that unless there, without a steel dossier, there is no FISA warrant. Break it down. What that means is there is no investigation into the Trump campaign without Steele's phony dossier. And what did Steele rely on to make his dossier? Igor Danchenkov, the guy who's now indicted by John Durham, and his indictment basically says Igor Danchenkov didn't provide any credible information 
to Christopher Steele. So now you have Christopher Steele, who's the main source of the dossier's credibility has been completely gutted by the FBI's own documents, which we revealed during our Russiagate investigation. And oh, by the way, you have Christopher Steele's reliance on this basically fake made up source. And now he's also indicted for lying to the FBI. So those three uh, pillars, along with, as you said, the mainstream media helped perpetuate this fraud. But I think we're finally getting some accountability. Uh, it is. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at uh, some of the uh, references in this uh, in this indictment, and uh, without name, uh, Jake Sullivan. Clearly, mm-hmm. uh, now uh, it, it appears uh, a a figure of interest for uh, the special counsel. Uh, give us your thoughts about Sullivan, the national security advisor for Mr. Biden, and the implications here. Oh, I have so many. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Jake Sullivan, formerly uh, camp, senior campaign advisor to then candidate Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. and also Hillary Clinton's national security advisor. Now the president's national security advisor in the in the indictments between Sussman and Denchenko, he cited by title. It's Jake Sullivan, who is. And again, let's rewind the tape a little bit. We deposed Jake Sullivan under oath during our Russiagate investigation under Chairman Nunes. I asked him flat out. Um, did he have any knowledge regarding what his clients, Hillary Clinton campaign and Perkins Coie, the law firm, were were helping peddle? What was all that money going for? And that indictment, excuse me, that deposition is also public. He said he had no idea what any of that stuff was going uh, was going towards. Yet in the indictments by John Durham, you see that John Durham has acquired communications between Jake Sullivan, the Hillary campaign, um, Fusion GPS, Steele, and the others. So either Jake Sullivan, in my opinion, lied to Congress under oath or is lying in John Durham's indictments about his knowledge of what the money w- from the Hillary Clinton campaign was going to Christopher Steele. So I think he's got a lot of trouble. And here's the irony of everything, Lou, as you know, wouldn't it be ironical if the current national security advisor, the president of the United States, who should actually be charged with the felony is, uh, compare that with what, what they did to Michael Flynn, the former national security advisor, under President Trump, who's brought up trumped up charges and who Rick Grinnell and I had to, when we were running the DNI, we were the ones who declassified the evidence of innocence that the Department of Justice intentionally withheld from Michael Flynn. So his case could be tossed as it should never have been brought. And no one has been held accountable for the participation of the Justice Department and the FBI in an actual established attempt to frame the national security advisor to the president of the United States, a three-star general serving in the nation. Why not? And I, I wish I had the answer to them. Uh, we, we'd be, if we were back in power, maybe we would. But, um, and that's, I think, what ticks off Americans the most is this total lack of accountability. It's a separate set of rules for the James Comeys and the Andy McCabe's and the Peter Strzok and Lisa Pages of the world, and a different set of rules for everybody else, like you, me, Michael Flynn, and anyone else. And then, of course, there's the, you know, the universe that uh, the uh, circus animal Adam Schiff lives in, who continues to perpetuate this fraud and allows people's lives to be wrecked with baseless false information. And Michael Flynn was just one example. I'm glad we were able to give him a piece of his uh, life back and, and at least show that he was actually innocent. And hopefully John Durham, I actually have some faith that he will go after the Jake Sullivan's of the world, um, the Fiona Hills of the world, the Fusion GPS's of the world. I think he's on the right track. 
And I want to get into the issue of John Durham and, if you will, his uh, longevity uh, in just a minute. But I, I want to turn to this, uh, this idea that th there's no accountability. No one's going to prison. Uh, yet assess, compare, if you will, uh, with your background and intelligence and, and being at the, in, the, in the swamp for these many years, how would you compare Watergate to Russiagate, uh, to the, yeah. what I would argue is the greatest political scandal in history? So many people have, have been drawing that analogy, and I think, Lou, you're right to do so. Watergate is drowned by Russiagate. Watergate, if you recall, actually had people indicted and go in prison. Um, and it was a big scandal. It was a very to that point, it was the biggest political scandal. Right. Russiagate just dwarfs that because it doesn't involve a sitting president of the United States and Donald Trump. It involves the director of the FBI, the heads of the intelligence community, an opposition political campaign drumming up false information by paying a foreign asset to pump and peddle false information into the FBI and having a willing partner in the corrupt FBI come up with a surveillance apparatus to go in against their opponent. I mean, just think about it. Think about what we've proven, Lou, with your assistance in the last five years. Donald Trump didn't collude with Russia or Russian agents. Neither did his campaign. The only person and people that colluded with Russia were the Hillary Clinton campaign and the mainstream media. And it cost them tens of millions of dollars to do so, and they were willing to pay it. I don't know what you, you couldn't write a science fiction novel that would be a bigger scandal than Russiagate, in my opinion. And complicit as well, of course, the national left wing media. Uh, and, and by that, I'm referring to the corporate media. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and they often don't get uh, credit or more properly blame for their role, whether they be the owners of ABC News, that is Disney, uh, CNN, their corporate owner, AT&T, uh, MSNBC, NBC News, th that, of course, Comcast, uh, and the list goes on. The Washington Post, owned by the second richest man in the world. And they're treated <laughs> as if they're a, a populist uh, uh, organ of the people rather than a plaything for a billionaire. Uh, give us your thought about the role of power economic power in our national media and the way it's being used. Well, this one's very personal for me, Lou. Having ran the Russiagate investigation from Chairman Nunes, the, the, the national left-wing media came after me relentlessly. They defamed me thanks to um, um, outrageous garbage by the likes of Fiona Hill and Alexander Vindman. I was jutted into the Ukraine impeachment fiasco that they conjured up, which right. President Trump was obviously acquitted of. Um, and so what did they do? They defamed me. And what did I do? I decided that I'm not going to take a knee. I'm going to fight back. So I'm, I've sued the New York Times, Politico and CNN for $150 million. Those defamation cases are ongoing. You have to correct the media. And I was so motivated by uh, the American citizens that I talked to about my lawsuits that I started fightwithcash.com with a K. And what are we doing? We're going around the country raising money for people who have been defamed and deplatformed by the big tech and big media because I wasn't the only one. And we're gonna help pay, raise money and pay for your lawyers um, so you guys can have your day in court. And I think that's the kind of measure that we're meeting out at fightwithcash.com that America needs because the only thing that the mainstream media is going to understand is a seven figure bullet to their bottom line. And that's what I'm chasing and that's my latest initiative. I think I agree with you entirely. 
they are beyond corrupt and beyond complicit. They are the unindicted co-conspirator, co-conspirator of the Russia gay conspiracy. And I'm doing what I can to, um, uh, to help push back and hold them accountable. Well, I think that is wonderful. And I think that your goal is noble. And even though the great America show and, uh, our enterprise is but a small acorn, uh, we, we do hope to grow. And as we grow, we will have fight with cash, uh, uh, on our website and we will support you in that effort, uh, 100%. So, uh, thank you good, so much. Thank good you. on you. Uh, let, let's turn here, uh, if we may, uh, to a, a, a situation that I, I, I don't even know quite how to evaluate, and that is the role of Fiona Hill, uh, the relationship back to Igor uh, Danchenko uh, at the Brookings mm-hmm. Institution uh, and advisor to Fiona Hill, of all people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how... how how much interest do you suspect the special counsel has in those relationships? Well, you know, uh, from my prosecutor days, uh, Fiona Hill would be on my tier one list of people I need to talk to. And, and and knowing John Durham and the way he operates, I believe he's already put Fiona Hill in a grand jury to get her sworn testimony. Because let's connect the dots here, as you just did, uh, alluded to. Igor Danchenko, the latest individual to be indicted by John Durham, was Fiona Hill's research assistant at the Brookings Institute. Who's Fiona Hill? Fiona Hill is the lady, uh, while she was at the Brookings Institute, who connected Christopher Steele to uh, Fusion GPS, who connected uh, Igor Danchenkov to Charles Dolan. Who's Charles Dolan? And this is all part of the Durham indictment. Charles Dolan way, a is lot the- of, A lot of people, Cash, were saying suddenly after that indictment, who in the world is Charles Dolan? Uh, me too. Me too. I was one of them. And I led the Russiagate investigation, Lou, and we, and me and Devin had oh, never man. heard of him. And what does that tell us? That means that the likes of Rod Rosenstein and Chris Ray withheld information from Congress, even though we issued lawful subpoenas to obtain that documentation. And while that ticks me off to no end that they withheld that information, we knew they were withholding information. It gives me hope that John Durham is getting that information that was withheld to us. And the question Americans need to ask is, what else was withheld from the American public during our investigation that John Durham's getting? And I think it centers around Fiona Hill. And now, and if you recall, um, Fiona Hill was, of course, the lady who helped conjure up the Ukraine impeachment fiasco. Mm-hmm. And she said under oath, and I'm paraphrasing during her testimony in that fiasco, she said she had no idea uh, what Steele was doing or anything to do with his dossier. She, the lady who connected Christopher Steele to his main source, her pupil, she's saying under oath she has no idea. I don't know if that stretches credulity. I'll leave it to John Durham and the American people. But the facts are not good for Fiona Hill, and she needs to be investigated. And it appears, and I've got to say at this point, I want to thank the audience. This I know that some of this is very tough sledding. Uh, yeah. but, uh, no better person to, to, to get a hold of that sled, uh, than Cash Patel, uh, as you've already learned, uh, he knows this case inside out and we appreciate you guiding us through it being, if you will, our Sherpa today, uh, on this case. Uh, we, we also want to say that this, this, I have to, I have to take some personal responsibility here. I had given up. I've got to confess to everyone uh, that I gave up on John Durham. 
I thought uh, it was over. I completely uh, and wrongly, uh, obviously, uh, gave up on him. And I want to apologize to him. And I want to say thank you to the special counsel for being a man of integrity and carrying out his, uh, his discharge. Uh, it, it's uh, it, it's discharging his responsibility so admirably. Uh, so where is now Bill Barr in this? Where is the president, of, the former president of the United States? For example, with this, we established that the dossier is gone. Any predicate for a, a special counsel is eliminated uh, with this, and, and the FISA uh, intrigue uh, is still alive, but we, we understand just what kind of a cesspool it was. This president, the Democratic Party, and members of the deep, deep state tried to assassinate him without pulling a trigger. That's the way I view it. They've tried to kill his political future as well as his presidency. Uh, your thoughts uh, on what I've said and how likely uh, are you to agree with it? Yeah, look, Lou, um, uh, look, I think everybody lost faith in John Durham. And thankfully, we have you in the media who has some in finally, you know, who uh, who has integrity enough to come out and 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 say, hey, I, I might have gotten something wrong. Well, I think the rest of the, you weren't the only one. Most of America got that assessment wrong. And, and, and if the if the mainstream media would follow your integrity, we might have more accountability. But when it comes to this this charade, this fraud, what here's what it boils down to. If you've never heard of Russiagate, go watch The Plot Against the President. It's an amazing exactly. film online that you can find. But here's what it boils down to. Here's the question. If you're an American citizen, do you want the United States Department of Justice and Federal Bureau of Investigation obtaining false information about you and your family and then getting a secret surveillance warrant based on that false information? That's the bottom line question. If the answer to that question is no, then you are in lockstep with everything that Lou Dobbs and I are talking about today. We cannot have that type of corruption, the James Comey corruption in the FBI um, that perpetuated under Rod Rosenstein into the Trump administration, shockingly. And him and Chris Ray allowed this fraud to continue because not only did they get a surveillance warrant while President Trump was candidate Trump, it went into his presidency. Right. And because of our work in Russiagate and the inspector general's independent reporting, not many people know this, Lou, half of the FISA warrants were, were rescinded. That has almost never happened in the history of the FISA court. That's how bad the mainstream media bought and sold this garbage. And that's how right we were and you were to report on our findings in the Russiagate investigation. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think we're only two thirds of the way done with John Durham. I say stay tuned. Um, there's a lot more coming. Uh, and I, give, us, give us your take on where we go from here, where John Durham uh, takes this investigation. Uh, just your sense of where it leads. Yeah. So look, as, as a former national security prosecutor, Lou, and a former public defender before that, sort of being on both sides of the aisle right. in, in a court of law, you don't issue uh, lying to the FBI indictments that are more than two, three, four pages long. You do issue them on the rare occasion when you want to issue what's called a speaking indictment. And why do we do that as prosecutors? We do that because it's our only way to lawfully let the American public know the depth and width of our investigation. John Durham has done it not once, not twice, but thrice, issuing a 29-page indictment against Michael Sussman and a 39-page indictment against 
uh, Danchenko. Why is he doing that? Because he's working on a large scale mob style conspiracy fraud case. He's outlining um, by name or by title individuals that he believes are under his investigation. Jake Sullivan, uh, Fiona Hill, Charles Dolan, the Clinton operative, um, all of Clinton's all of, all of Steele's subsources. He's talking about Fusion GPS and um, Glenn Simpson, the guys that hired were hired by the DNC and Hillary campaign who hired Christopher Steele and paid him six figures. He's talking about the Bruce Ors of the world and Nellie Ors, who, uh, who were also a part of this fraud, I believe. And we proved that during Russiagate. So when you take uh, almost 100 pages of indictments to talk about all these people, it's because as a prosecutor, you already have the ammunition. And it's just what's the next step. And I believe the next step is uh, John Durham has already obtained the financial records of the law firm, uh, the email communications and telephone communications between the Jake Sullivans of the world and the people that perpetuated this fraud, like Fusion GPS, like Fiona Hill, um, like Glenn Simpson. And he's connected all those dots behind the scenes. So what's next? I believe and I hope um, some more indictments, because that's the only way American people's trust in our leadership at FBI and DOJ is going to be restored. The, as you said, the people's trust is is all but absent. Uh, the corruption, the obvious corruption that we've all witnessed and which has been recorded, uh, chronicled over the, the past five years, uh, whether it's the FBI, we have never seen mm. an FBI laid bare like this uh, in its corrupt operations uh, and, and corrupt decision-making. Uh, it's political bias uh, and a, a Justice Department uh, that refuses to investigate anomalies, irregularities uh, in the election of 2020. I'm not saying that, they, that uh -huh. there's any clear evidence that the outcome would have been different had not those irregularities and instances of fraud occurred. But when the Justice Department refuses to investigate obvious uh, uh, questions of both uh, electoral integrity and uh, efforts at fraud, the, the American people are stunned. They watched two attempted impeachments of a president, a sitting president, without any, any result whatsoever, pure uh -huh. fiction in the, uh, in the, in the charges, uh, and uh, a ho-hum at the end of the proceedings that took up three years while an administration ignores Hunter Biden's laptop, his financial <laughs> dealings uh, in, with China and Ukraine, uh, it, it's it's stunning stuff. Uh, what do you think it's going to take for this country to once again believe the Justice Department is at all interested in justice, uh, that the FBI is worthy of their guns and badges and mission to protect the American public? I think it's going to take some mechanism that shatters the hypocrisy that you just outlined. You actually have evidence and, and information of people doing quid pro, quid pro quos with Ukraine and Hunter Biden and his art sale fiasco and getting money and getting big level contracts from China for advisory work because his dad was the vice president. These are things that actually need to be investigated and brought to light versus the, uh, the total farce that they uh, directed at President Trump. And what's it going to take? Two things, a media that's willing to report on it. And I'll, I'll be here with you, Lou, um, for as long as it takes to talk about and educate the American people on all the things we did right and you reported correctly on. Um, and the other thing it's going to take, it's going to take some guts from John Durham. It's going to take some guts for, for him to show that the enemy caves of the world, the Peter Strzok, the leadership at the FBI, the leadership at then DOJ, 
corrupted an institution and the only way to repair it is to take a page out of Watergate and indict some of those people at the top and hold them accountable. And that's how you restore integrity to the Department of Justice. Look, that I worked for and I worked for it under President Barack Obama. And we did some righteous work in the national security arena. There's a way to get us back some of that, not all of that um, belief and confidence in DOJ. Uh, but I think um, they just need John Durham just needs to, to speak loudly um, in the coming months. Well, Cash, first of all, I'm going to quickly accept your offer uh, to be with us and to guide us through this and to be here as, <laughs> of often and regularly, if you will. <laughs> Of course. Uh, Cash, uh, uh, I thank you so much for the education today. Uh, the, I'm sure that all of the Americans listening to your voice are, are deeply appreciative. Lou, thanks so much. And thanks for your support for fightwithcash.com. Uh, we really need the help and we can talk about it more, including the vendetta subpoenas that are costing me a fortune from the Jan 6 committee. So happy well, to be back anytime with you, Lou. Cash Patel, great American and God bless you for all you do. We continue with the Great America Show. Stay with us. The Biden White House remains, as it's been for almost a year, in utter turmoil, operating as if Joe Biden is a dictator rather than president of this constitutional republic of ours. While the Republicans haven't been able to muster the courage or will to stop Biden's Marxist left agenda, the courts are beginning to take notice and some action. A federal court ruling that Biden's China virus mandates are to be suspended uh, until the courts can actually make a final ruling on the constitutionality of those mandates has the White House in a dismissive mood. What did Joe Biden do? He told his departments and private business to ignore the court order, and the court has not publicly responded in any way to his outrageous provocation. And while the radical Democrats in Washington have succeeded in blocking further construction of the wall on our southern border, calling it racist and defying both law and court orders, while the White House ferries illegal immigrants by the tens of thousands to cities and towns in the dead of night all across the country. At the same time, the European Union is actively considering building a wall as the flood of Migrants, as they call them, pour into the European Union and a crisis with explosive potential builds on the border between Belarus and Poland. To this point, the Biden White House has made no progress in lowering tensions with Russia, Ukraine and Poland. And President Biden, well, he's not in the least concerned that Putin pal, Communist China's President Xi Jinping, is the new Mao Zedong tenured for life as the leader of the Chinese Communist Party with unlimited, with absolute power. With us today, one of the most prolific writers on geopolitics and global economics, Gregory Copley is the president of the International Strategic Studies Association in Washington, D.C., editor of the Defense and Foreign Affairs series of publications. He's authored thousands of articles and papers, speeches, and books on geopolitical strategy, and defense policy. Here now, Gregory Copley. Gregory, good to have you with us. And if we may, let's begin with your view on the political and economic state of communist China, about which there seems to be widely divergent views. Your thoughts. 
Well, great to be with you, Lou. And the reality is that we have to look to the Soviet Union, particularly under Stalin, to understand that a Stalinist and Stalinist type regime never, ever, ever gives out accurate information on anything. <laughs> statistics in particular, the lies, damn lies and statistics, I think was written for Stalin because uh, the, the reality is that whatever actually is recorded uh, as to a performance of the economy or a performance of anything has to be made to look better and therefore uh, the, the lies begin. In communist China today, there is, has not been a single accurate statistic released by the, by the Communist Party of China for, since 1949. But it is particularly true today. The, exact, the lies, the exaggerations and the like are profound. Now, yes, there are some retail figures which, which you can uh, glean from the performance of Western companies operating in the People's Republic of China. But the reality is that overall, the economy has been in decline at least since 2015 and probably earlier. Uh, we noticed that post-2015, uh, the funding of the Belt and Road Initiative has started to uh, dry up and is now virtually uh, a trickle, if you like, of funds going out uh, on Belt and Road Initiative projects. Mm -hmm. And that indicates the incredible lack of hard currency foreign exchange reserves uh, in the People's Republic of China. The uh, fact is that Xi Jinping believed that he could buy alliances around the world with cash. He knew that Mao's Little Red Book was not going to hold any any truck with the uh, with the with the world uh, audiences, so he knew what the world wanted. They wanted short-term mm -hmm. thinking, transactional thinking. They wanted cash-based incentives. So he used the Belt and Road Initiative as a, a, if you like, as a financial little red book, uh, where he gave money, he gave bribes, he lent money. None of which is coming back to the PRC. None of the major projects have been completed. Therefore, the the new uh, PRC-controlled global infrastructure has not occurred. Yes, they've done some, some incredible things, particularly in Africa, but nothing links up. So uh, the PRC is not getting the resources it needs in the way it wants. It's not getting a return on the investment it's made. It's run out of cash, and it, can, it, it literally can't feed its own people. We've got, but we've got a same, situation. Hmm. Go, on. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, we've got a situation where we've not seen a major power in the world so existentially dependent, dependent for its existence on imported food in the way the People's Republic of China is. We haven't seen this since the collapse of the Roman Empire. When you think about it, they can do nothing without imported food. And imported energy as well. Of course. Uh, of course. There, uh, well, uh, the great debate in this country is over uh, critical race theory. The debate in China is how much coal can we bring in from the United States? And it's a huge amount. Uh, over the summer, that amount doubled from the United States. Uh, as we are resolving uh, for at least uh, a short period of time, their energy shortfall and they are taking our capital uh in record sums through their through the trade deficit with china and the ex their export to us of 
uh, everything from pharmaceuticals to advanced technology. Uh, when you look at that basket of goods, uh, it, it looks like we're, uh, in fact, the third world country emerging into the industrial age, not China. Your thoughts? Well, there's no question about that. Uh, a, a country which exports only uh, minerals and primary produce uh, and, and rather than technology is a third world country. And uh, you look at Australia, uh, Australia abandoned its industry and became a, a dig and sell country like Nigeria. Mm -hmm. uh, the Nigerians are actually going back in and developing an industry. The Australians are not yet doing so. And the United States is slow to rebuild its industry. Uh, however, the great advantage, of course, is that agricultural surplus countries, such as the United States, do have a measure of security, which the PRC doesn't. You've got a, a country there where, where you've got something like 20% of the world's population, 7% of the world's water. That water is all polluted, uh, you know, 85, 90% polluted. So they're getting polluted food stocks when they get them. So they need anything and everything the US can produce. They found that Brazil, Australia, Russia, and so on could not provide the kind of food resources which they need, which hobbles the Communist Party of China because they know if they get into a, a serious, I mean, a real military conflict with the US, then food shipments stop going out of Long Beach, um, Oakland, Seattle uh, t t the next day. And a week later, the people of China are starving. Well, it, it seems to me, at least according to all of the uh, reporting uh, from uh, foreign media in China uh, and our own intelligence uh, services, that the, the Chinese are in a period of unprecedented prosperity. Uh, yes, their economy has slowed. Yes, they have debt uh, debt issues galore. Uh, and the private sector is not living up to what had been both uh, their projections and the expectation of Western analysts. But uh, they are bleeding the United States dry uh, through our massive dependence on China and the supply chain of uh, particularly South Asia. Uh, how, how do you square up your view with that of the more of the popular uh, media and intelligence agencies in the West? Well, intelligence agencies uh, go on available data quite clearly. And the available data is what is produced by the Communist Party of China. And you see the World Bank statistics and so on, all based on Communist Party uh, figures. Mm -hmm. we, we know they lie. Uh, we, and so it's just a matter of saying, well, how much do they lie? But the World Bank and the IMF, for example, aren't uh, in a position to ask to what degree is that lie occurring. So, yes, we do see uh, a lot of, U, uh, of PRC exports to the West, particularly to the United States. But that is also, we can see that that's, that has already peaked because the cost of manufacturing in the People's Republic of China has now increased consistently over the past two decades to the point where it's not cost competitive. What we are now seeing is the international, ramping up of all... Internationally, yeah. it's not cost, yeah, as yeah. cost competitive as it was. Let me ask you, if I may, Gregory, mm -hmm. we're watching the CCP's Navy, the PLA Navy, uh, mm -hmm. is now at 355 ships on simply the basis of the size of the fleet. Uh, 
China has a navy superior to that of the United States. That doesn't, of course, of course take into account uh, uh, the submarine force. It doesn't uh, differential our or the uh, uh, firepower uh, with, that is under the control of the U.S. Navy versus that of the uh, PLA Navy. Uh, but these hmm. these are it's a significant advance for the for the Chinese. We're also watching it in their air force. We're also watching their space program. It is moving uh, at leaps and bounds uh, in terms of satellite technology and space weaponry. How concerned are you about that? And why is the United States so seemingly sanguine? Well, I don't think the United States uh, is saying when I, I lecture to senior U.S. defense officials, at least on a weekly basis and, and brief them. And the, the concern is growing dramatically. Moreover, the concern is primarily about uh, the PRC's growth in the space arena, because that's where the U.S. can really be threatened, particularly as the impact of space on cyber warfare is uh, evolving. Right. Uh, but the one of the concerns we have is that uh, the the PRC is putting, uh, if you like, larger proportions of a diminishing uh, available funding into the PLA development. The Navy has been ex exceptionally impressive. And this is a showcase, obviously, for, uh, for Xi Jinping, not just for the world, but for the domestic uh, PRC audiences, because Xi Jinping right now is in the fight of his life to retain control of the Communist Party of China. And he needs to look powerful. He needs the PRC to look exceptionally strong on the global stage uh, if he is going to get re-elected to an unprecedented third term as uh, as head of the Communist Party in the uh, Party Congress in October 2022. And it looks as though he's sealed up all of the votes needed yes. for that. But he can be, he certainly can't be sure of it. Uh, and so he's, he continues the bluster uh, and the buildup of the ships. Now, if he uses those ships against the United States uh, or anything that brings the United States into conflict, as I say, then he runs into problems because the, the food supply to the, to the PRC stops overnight. So it's a, it's a difficult, he's in a difficult position. Um, PLA Navy is very, very strong, but it is locked behind the first island chain, which is, of course, why... Uh, one of the reasons why Taiwan and the Republic of China is so critical uh, as a as a centerpiece of Xi's policies. He has been uh, bold in uh, sending his uh, bombers, fighters uh, into the Taiwan uh, defense zone uh, with impunity, uh, provocative, uh, also bellicose threats that uh, emanate from Beijing almost weekly. Uh, toward uh, uh, Taiwan and what is clear uh, a frustration with its sovereignty and independence on the part of the PRC, uh, PRC uh, and uh, Xi Jinping. Uh, Taiwan looks to be extremely vulnerable and becoming more so. The United States appears to be weaker in the South China Sea and the Sea of Japan uh, and our Navy uh, is flat out limited and tired. Is that an unfair statement? It's not an unfair statement at all. Uh, the uh, unfortunate aspect is that uh, the Biden administration keeps giving passes to Xi Jinping to 
enable his expansion and his threats. But the reality is that the louder and more bellicose the wolf warrior diplomacy of Xi Jinping is, uh, the weaker he, in fact, seems to be in reality. Uh, what we see with the Republic of China, the, the <coughs> Taiwanese defense forces, is that they are becoming more capable, literally by the day. Yeah, the Taiwanese Navy is really nimble and can ensure that any cross-strait uh, amphibious operation to take to re to take uh, Taiwan by the PLA is going to be very, very questionable, very problematic. Uh, so the PLA Navy, despite its buildup, still does not have enough sea lift, and it's looking at all manner of uh, taking up uh, ships from trade, from whether they're fishing vessels or ferries and the like, in order to get enough sea lift capacity. And the recent exercises showed this. Actually, in, in substantive terms, getting stronger, uh, the PLA's options becoming fewer, because as uh, the, PL, the, the uh, Communist Party of China threatens Taiwan, we see Japan saying, well, Taiwan is uh, essential to Japanese security and therefore any attack on Taiwan would be an attack on Japan and we would be at war. And that in turn would then engage the US-Japan uh, uh, defense treaty. So uh, inescapably, she knows that an attack on Taiwan is a, is a step too far. And he's even been warned of this by PLA leaders. And the big threat, uh, one of the big threats to Xi's continued leadership is coming from a withdrawal of support for him by PLA leaders. Uh, because they know that if he, firstly, if he attacks Taiwan, he involves Japan and the United States. But what would also happen is that the Indians would take advantage of that and launch their own attacks on the uh, Tibetan plateau to... Uh, yeah. uh, and, and move across against Pakistan, that would cut off, uh, if, if the Indians did that against the, uh, the northern Kashmir area controlled by Pakistan, that would, that would cut off China's land bridge down to the Indian Ocean. So that would isolate the People's Republic of China and literally reduce uh, Beijing overnight to, uh, to being a continental, not a global power. So she knows that he can't make that move. The authors of his great strategy, which is called Unrestricted Warfare, which was initially drafted in 1999, the, the authors of that, or the, one of the principal authors of that, uh, came out a couple of years ago and said Xi Jinping should never have started threatening people because now it will be impossible to, to retake Taiwan, and Taiwan's not important to the mainland anyway. First, the first priority is secure the mainland prosperity, and that means food production, uh, and general wealth before you think of anything else. And she has abandoned that. He, he figured he could make the strategic gains and then self-reliance in agriculture and so on would, would come later. All of this, uh, you know, from the muzzle of a rifle, uh, mm. power ultimately comes down to that. In this case, that muzzle is a, a metaphor for a Navy that is growing, as you stated, uh, rapidly and robustly. Uh, it also a surprise to our Western intelligence agencies was the success of testing a hypersonic missile. China launched a hypersonic missile that traveled around the globe and missed its target by 25 miles. Uh, close enough for, uh, for uh, intimidation. Mm -hmm. 
how significant is the Chinese clear and uh, advanced development of hypersonic missiles over both the United States and its ally, Russia? Well, I don't think that they're more advanced than Russia in this regard. They, in fact, used Russian technology to, to achieve their this new fractional orbital bombardment system, which was a combination of a ballistically launched system going into low Earth orbit and then having the, uh, the skipping capability of the hypersonics going in and out of, of uh, space and then down into a maneuverable atmospheric uh, target acquisition mode. That technology was developed by the Soviets in the 1960s and was deployed until the, uh, the mid-1970s. The U.S. chose not to, to match it, although it had similar technology at the time, uh, because it was literally a, a scary circumstance. There was no guarantees of, um, if you like, a balance uh, being achieved. And the Soviets, for financial reasons, had to abandon that by about 1975. So the technology has been there for some time. The new hypersonic uh, technology, for particularly for air-breathing hypersonics, was being developed in the University of Queensland in Australia. The Australians offered that technology to the US and were rebuffed uh, some years ago, but it was coming out of the University of Queensland and guess where the biggest concentration of Chinese students in Australia has been for decades? That's been in the University of Queensland. So the, the Chinese have been very assiduous in developing their space weapons and their hypersonics the U.S. is starting to catch up. And uh, frankly, the only saving grace in all of this is that the U.S. has a better ability to fight wars uh, in a proven sense than does the PRC. The PLA uh, really has is very, very uh, theoretical and hasn't fought a major war uh, since the Vietnam uh, uh, failure in, uh, in the 70s, 80s. So that, that's quite an interesting situation. But what the PRC is trying to do is to stop the United States from building countermeasures. It's trying to stop the U.S. from spending money on weapons which would leapfrog the, the PRC weapons. And how is it doing that? It, 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 what it does is it's trying to force the U.S. to go ahead and modernize all of its old ICBM nuclear-equipped uh, fleet of, of missiles. Right. This is 20th century technology. You know, nuclear weapons in many respects are so 20th century. So what does the PRC do, uh, knowing that it's got these new weapons, with both cyber and hypersonic? It's building all of these new missile silo fields for ICBMs up in northwestern China in the outback. These And these missile fields are very obvious from satellite reconnaissance. Uh, and it looks like they've got the silos very close together, which means that they are vulnerable to a first strike from the United States because right. the, the silos are so close together that you can take out several at once. So this makes the U.S. feel, well, we've got to, we've got to counter this. Uh, but the reality is that the PRC is not going to, to spend its limited funds on more ICBMs, knowing that ICBMs are the easiest things in the strategic arsenal to knock out with countermeasures, particularly space-based countermeasures. That's what the Strategic Defense Initiative by Reagan was all about. Mm -hmm. you, you, you hit the missiles as they go up into space and before they, they, they drop down with their warheads. 
Uh, now, I, I think we have to say that's the theory. Uh, it's the plan. Uh, it's still uh, is available, and it's still very uh, hard for me to believe that it's as effective as is ballyhooed. I'll put it that way. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Edward Teller was a very smart man, one of the smartest people I've ever uh, met. Uh, he, what he helped create is impressive to this day. And you talked about such a 20th century technology. Uh, when you talk about those warheads, uh, that's a very blunt instrument uh, in, in applying uh, uh, to nuclear war, uh, particularly with Ch Russia or, or China. The, it, we are still in mutually assured destruction, uh, no matter what uh, and how clever we think our new doctrine is. Uh, am I wrong? The reality is that the U.S. does not have a doctrine, and there is no mutually assured destruction understanding, uh, either with the, with the Russians or, and particularly, with the PRC. Uh, so uh, this is why this new fractional orbital bombardment system of, of, uh, of the Communist Party of China is so important, because it means that it's back to free-form uh, offensive warfare, and the U.S. needs to spend its money on defensive, first on countermeasures to these new weapons. And then uh, once you've got those countermeasures in play, place, then you look for the leapfrogging technology for the next generation of weapons. And the United States is not yet doing that. And what you've got with the massive inflation in the United States already underway is that the, the power of the defense budget is declining daily, uh, especially as the Biden administration wants to cap that defense spending. So if you have a, a limited defense budget and then you pour $1.2 trillion into nuclear weapons modernization, another 100 to 200 billion into the creation of a manned long range bomber, the B-21 Raider, uh, you, you have a real uh, handicap in putting money into the right areas of defense technology, national security technology for the United States. So the US really needs to be absolutely sure that it has the countermeasures in place for ICBMs. And it also needs to know that it, it's got to look at ways of stopping the PRC uh, where ICBMs don't do the trick because the right. PRC is not deterred you know, by US ICBMs. Do you know what scares me and what you're saying? What you're really saying is that over the course of the past half century in which ICBMs have been the primary uh, sword uh, and in some senses shield in our nuclear arsenal, that we have not developed a successful countermeasure to even that old minute man technology uh, upon which we still rely in our triad uh, of nuclear hmm. weapons. Am, well, I you, you am I miss? Uh -huh. Am I miss? Am I miss? Understanding? <laughs> no, no, you you nailed it. Uh, and the the reality is that Dr. Stefan Personi, uh, with who with Teller, uh, really came up with the whole concept of the Strategic Defense Initiative. They had it ready. Reagan knew it would work. The Soviets spent their last nickel stopping that effort. And of course, the Cold War ended with the collapse of the Soviet Union. So. Uh, George H.W. Bush breathed a sigh of relief and said we could now spend the peace dividend and stopped all work on this. Uh, but the reality yeah. is 
that buying, uh, if you like, uh, uh, a modernization of the nuclear force for 1.2 trillion, and that's literally going to be a fraction of what it's going to cost. That's like putting in an order for new battleships on December the 8th, 1941. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, we know, speaking of battleships, that our newest uh, class of carriers, uh, represented by the first of the class, uh, the Gerald R. Ford, is 15 years later still not seaworthy, battle-ready, and a proven ship uh, for the line. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's been a stunning failure. Uh, and we're not seeing anything, if you will, better uh, emanating from uh, Annapolis and from the Pentagon. It's a, it's a difficult uh, time for the U.S. Navy. It is a difficult time uh, for the general staff that has yet to, to prove that it could win a war uh, since 1991. Uh, Gregory, I have enjoyed talking with you. Uh, you uh, have alarmed me. You have also mm -hmm. reassured me. I hope you'll come back soon and scare us some more uh, about <laughs> our national security and uh, the global uh, situation that in various places is mounting uh, uh, flashpoints of crisis. Gregory, thank you again. Gregory Copley, president of the International Strategic Studies Association in Washington, D.C. Gregory, again, our thanks. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds.